So let's begin to explore a little more to unfold and unpack um, this movement of Eros, the movement of soul-making, what I've been calling the <coughs> soul-making dynamic or the Eros-Psyche-Logos dynamic and uh, look at that and um, some of what it, some of its consequences, what it involves, what it brings into being and opens up, and also some of the ways that whole organic movement can be hindered or blocked or impeded or uh, weakened or, or uh, stopped in some way. And uh, so both, both uh, speaking sort of in theoretical terms, but, but hopefully with examples and fleshing it out that way. So really there's a double intent here um, over, over the next few talks of um, opening up the possibilities of Eros, opening up for ourselves the possibilities, the, the possible manifestations of Eros in practice, in life, in, in, in our existence, in the way that we relate to existence and to image, etc. And uh, so opening up the possibility of Eros, but also looking at... Um, what the possibilities of Eros open for us. So what comes out for us, what is um, made available to us because of the movement and the possible and, and the, the manifestation, the different manifestations of Eros. So double intent there. In a way through this where we're circling around um, things and ideas and uh, uh, teachings that we've already touched on. Um, so there's the hermeneutic circle again. We're touching on something, touching on something uh, else, and then coming back to revisit the first thing, um, round and round, in much the same way that um, it, it, you know a sewer sewing uh, stitches um, or sewing um, a cloth or knitting a scarf or something. We'll, we'll come back over the same area to uh, add. Um, another thread, another colour, or entwine threads together. Um, way, uh, for instance, a, a tapestry gets woven, working over the same material back and forth, um, adding something, adding more intricacy, more <coughs> density, more complication, more solidity, more colour, etc. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, some of uh, some people certainly um, who work with this kind of material or imaginal practice um, would uh, wonder, uh, do wonder, uh, you know, uh, okay, so I'm exploring all this imaginal stuff, I'm on this retreat or whatever, I'm devoting a solitary retreat, uh, someone devoted a month to exploring the, these practices, and it kind of occurs to them at some point, Wow, there's a lot of eros here, and and often very, you know, sexual, explicitly sexual in the imagery, and why all this eros? Why all this sexuality? So non non sexual and sexual eros, um, in imaginal practice or imaginal retreats. You know, wonder why? Uh, is that right? Is that correct? Is it okay? And all that. So we'll go into all this as well. But why? It's a good. It, you know, it's a good question. It's an interesting question. One reason is, uh, I mean, to begin to give a response, one reason is um, we love Eros. We love that fire, and we love uh, 
its juiciness, the juiciness of eros in a in a more watery metaphor. Um, we love that. Something in us loves that, and the more, if you like, the more uh, eros there is flowing through us, the more we love it. And where eros loves itself, will come back to that eros it has its erotic connection with itself. Uh, so that's you know one part of it. Um, another thing is on these uh, inimaginable practice and the way we've set it up, um, uh, the 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 teaching, the teachers, and the teachings allow it. We allow that eros and the teachings, the logos, the the conceptual framework that we're we have set up and we're setting up the explanations, etc. They they um, sanction it. They they legitimize um, eros. The examples uh, we give in 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 the teaching, um, also get by by through example through line. This is this is uh, an image of mine. This is an image of Catherine's. This is um, what a yogi reported to us that we 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 asked them and they said fine. We're sharing it. So the examples we share also open something out, normalize it, legitimize it, give it place, give it um, give it space within the teachings. Um, and with the examples, also the range of um, images that are described or, or related in, in the examples. The range is broad, and this is deliberate, um, so that we get the sense of a, the, the, the range of possible archetypes and Im- imaginal figures and um, Characters uh, that that come that are operating that demand attention that make other demands that that ask for reverence in a, in a way and devotion and um, all of this is huge so that and I've spoken about this in other talks in the past we're not um, locked in and certainly not unconsciously locked in to just a narrow range of sort of um, traditional um, Buddhist images of chastity, equanimity, um, even even temperament, e- e- evenness of mind, calmness, um, sobriety, just the fantasy of the hermit, you know. Uh, the, the range of Im- images and archetypes is, is broad, and that, that gives permission for the ones that don't fit into the kind of, uh, if you like, more official but unconscious canon of, of, of fantasy that often gets communicated um, in, 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 in the teachings, um, in more, let's say, uh, traditional teachings, um, among some streams of, of Buddhism. So that's, a, that's part of it. It was sanctioned by the teachings and the teachers and the examples, etc. It's legitimized, given place. Um, another another um, important reason is that... Um, Psyche and the imaginal um, involves beauty. The imaginal involves beauty. Uh, Maybe very, again, wide range of what that word beauty means. But generally speaking, um, the imaginal... uh, Beauty is a component, an element of the the imaginal, of uh, of images when they're alive as imaginal images to us. And where there's beauty, there's attraction. There's, there's, There's going to be eros. Um, as one kind of possibility of that attraction. So in a way, eros, as I said, I think I said before already, is eros is intrinsic to the imaginal. 
we could say that. So of course it's going to come up. You do imaginal practice, eros is intrinsic to it. Of course it's going to come up. Eros is intrinsic to psyche, I would say, um, to some degree or other. And the more you allow the imaginal, the more you actually allow eros. Um, and if an imaginal figure is felt by us or regarded by us as as um, other, as as an otherness to us, it's not being reduced as said to a, a faculty of my mind or a uh, um, you know an aspect of my of my consciousness or even an aspect of my psyche. It's not being reduced to a result of my personal history and etc. Um, then that otherness, that personhood between me and the image, or even between two different images, uh, even two different intra-psychic images, um, eros is allowed because of the otherness there. Eros is an attraction between othernesses, we could say. Um, and when in that otherness we feel or we regard images or we play with the um, perspective that images have a claim on us, they have a claim, a deep, uh, far-reaching, profound, uh, soul-resonant claim on the psyche, the way a lover does, the way a lover has a claim on us, or um, uh, a nuptial claim of, of, a, of, a, <coughs> of a, a spouse. So that claim on us is also erotic. It doesn't necessarily mean it's sexual, but it's erotic in, in the way a lover's claim is erotic, and it gives rise, or it involves eros. Now always, I think I've said this as well, where there's the imaginal and, and imaginal figures, it's not always apparent at first, but there's always some kind of love. It might be a very, um, again, a, a kind of love, a flavor, an expression of love that's not, that's much, uh, doesn't fit into the usual range and the usual picture of what the mind has of what love looks like. It can be, for instance, quite stern or um, strong or involve very um, sort of uh, you know, seemingly um, even violent elements or something, but there is some kind of love there with imaginal figures. Um, both ways. We love them and they love us. And there's a desire for contact. In a way, this imaginal figure is an angelos, is an angel, a messenger. It wants to make contact with us, and we want contact. We desire intercourse, if you like, in in the broader sense of that word, intercourse. Again, not just sexual. Um, and and that that desire for contact is is uh, according to this very basic. Uh, what I'm calling the small definition, the loose definition of eros, um, that's de the desire for contact. Um, to open to, to relate with, that is eros. That desire for contact. Um, and again, if <clears throat> if an image, as we sense more into an image, um, again, it might not be at first obvious, but we sense more into an image, and what makes it an imaginal image um, is this 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 quality that we um or dimension that we that we begin to notice with imaginal images their unfathomability their inexhaustibility are not reducible to this or that explanation we don't ever figure them out or if we do they die um they 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 can have this sense of like um endlessness to them, bottomlessness almost to them 
Um, and because of that, because of their unfathomability and exhaustibility, there is, so to speak, always more for eros, the erotic movement towards that image or, or in relation to that image. There's always more for the eros to open to. There's always more for it to penetrate, always more um, for, for the eros to know. Um, so these words penetrate, open again. They're they're um, receive. Um, no, they, these are all words with sexual connotations, as I, as I said before. But there's no limit. There's no limit to the penetration because of the imaginal figure's unfathomability. And that imaginal figure might be an actual person. Um, alive, a flesh and blood person in our life, or that we know about, or a historical person, we've been through all this before, um, that uh, we, our perception of them is imbued with uh, beautiful, um, imaginal dimensions and, and fantasy in the good sense of the word. And there's no bottom to that. So they are, in a way, infinitely penetrable, infinitely, uh, we can open to them endlessly. So all of that... Um, <coughs> And uh, also sometimes, again, I've explained this before, sometimes um, wrapped up in images or an image um, bears this message, this angelos, this, this uh, communication of somehow of a telos, an end, uh, a point, an end towards which the soul is moving. And so there is the eros of that magnetic attraction of the soul towards this telos, towards this end, something that we are, the being, the soul is beckoned towards, called towards. Uh, what Corbin Henri Corbin calls the angel out ahead, um, or we could say the divine root of something that we're called to. Um, but that angel out ahead, um, we never reach. Um, the, it's not that we r- reach it in some kind of union, we finish uh, with that. There's an infinite movement um, towards that. It keeps moving further and further. We, uh, we move towards it and it, it takes a step back and, and beckons us further and further, <clears throat> if you like, uh, on on the path of soul making, on the path of um, deeper, wider uh, divinity. So there's something about who we are becoming, our telos. Um, in some images, uh, they are redolent with that. They communicate that. They shine with that, and beckon us in that way. And that that telos implies or needs eros, that erotic movement. So we could say all this in in relation to this question: Why all this eros? Why all this sexual imagery? Even more in 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 the imaginal practice, and when a person devotes themselves themselves to to this kind of practice for a time. <clears throat> So we could say all that. Of course, someone might say, no, 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 you let people daydream, and what do you get? You get the defilements running uh, running amok, uh, the increase, uh, defilements running away with themselves, the increase. <coughs> so that <coughs> might be someone's um, sort of knee-jerk assumption. But as I said, I hope you can really see when you explore these practices in, in, in the careful ways that we're talking about um, that that's a- a- absolutely not the case. And we'll revisit the, the doubts that may arise there, but um, uh, you can see that's not the case. So the, there's all these answers that we could give, but we can kind of tie all that together um, 
but, but again, weave it together um, through this, uh, I think, more elegant um, explanation of what we've been calling um, the eurosyche logos dynamic or the soul-making dynamic, if that's too kind of technical sounding for you. Um, uh, we can say that the explanation, the exploration of how the fire of Eros spreads, how it um, catches a light and sparks fire uh, wider and wider so that it spreads, um, how the tree, if you like, of soul grows, the organic movement of the growth of this tree, or the way... Um, <clears throat> Uh, the web of soul making is is woven. Uh, so these are different, maybe more poetic uh, l- languaging of of what we mean by the eurosychologos dynamic or the soul making dynamic. And I've I've um, talked about this in other talks. Um, I think in those set of talks, the um, sacred universe, insight, theophany, cosmopoesis, and and more in more detail in um, than that in. Uh, the series and ecology of love, but 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 it's so important and so fundamental. I, I want to um, revisit it again and add more to it and more dimensionality and more of the implications and 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 what's involved. Why why emphasize this so much? Why am I putting so much um, emphasis on this? Because um, I think, or it seems to me that. Um, it's it, it's a kind of theory, I guess. It's a theory, um, uh, uh, a kind of conceptual framework, if you like, is, is itself, itself a logos um, that explains quite a lot um, in a in a way that's relatively um, simple, um, and in that way, it's, there's a kind of elegance to it. Um, it integrates quite a lot of seemingly unrelated. Um, experiences or observations we have um, in, in life and in practice and in relationship. Um, it, it ties a lot of things together that at first sight don't seem like they have might have anything to do with each other. Um, it also, funnily enough, predicts um, quite a lot, like, like a kind of theory, I guess, predicts. Um, so in the same way, for example, as um, the conceptual framework of dependent origination and emptiness and fabrication that we talked about um, earlier on the retreat, on the course. Um, understanding that, you begin to be able to predict, oh yeah, when I look at something this way, that involves less avijja. And so I expect that when I look at, when I focus on whatever this thing is, um, a body pain or a visual perception or whatever, when I look at it that way, through that lens of less avijja, I expect that perception to fade. So there's a kind of prediction there, and we see with the practice, uh, that kind of what I would call insight meditation practice, practicing with emptiness and dependent origination, we actually see those predictions bear out. We develop that practice, and lo and behold, things fade, um, as we would expect. And people report experiences to us, and you would expect, I expect it to ask someone, and then what happened? Did it fade? And I said, yes. Uh, it's why, why? Because we understand the, the kind of uh, predictive power of that, of that um, theory or conceptual framework or whatever. And in the same way, it also has some something, I think, this Eurosyche Logos dynamic, this sort of conceptual framework that I'm offering, um, has something of a diagnostic um, capacity, capability as well. It's a different 
um, model of the psyche, different psychological model, if you like, than a lot of the ones um, that we're used to. And so it's another way of um, diagnosing what the problem is when we run into problems in relationship or in um, intrapsychically or... Um, in all, in all kinds of areas. And and with all that, you know, um, it's also a, a conceptual frame that can guide our practice, and this is, this is a big part of what these kind of understandings offer, whether it's emptiness um, uh, or, or this area of soul-making we're talking about. Understanding the big picture, a conceptual framework that holds the big picture together, ends up being so helpful in guiding our practice because it informs the sort of micro-choices mo- moment to moment. Um, what am I trying to do here? This thing seems kind of blocked. How can I understand that or, or um, bring, bring some understanding to bear that opens it up again, that makes it more fertile, more rich, um, allows me to travel further, um, etc. Um, where do I navigate right now? Um, all, all that. The big picture, an understanding of the big picture informs um, the, the small moment-to-moment micro-decisions in, in practice um, or, or the more mid, mid-level decisions about what should I focus on now for this retreat or whatever it is. Um, and uh, and that's applicable to whatever you want to talk about, insight meditation or the Dharma as a whole or soul-making, etc. Okay, so let's... let's um, Let's explain this uh, or flesh out, uh, both theoretically and through example, taking our time, um, this, what we're calling the soul-making dynamic. Excuse me. Um, so we said that Eros, um, Eros wants connection. Actually, I used to define it that way. Eros wants connection um, with the other, with the erotic object, with the... Um, the beloved other. Now, whether that other is um, an actual person, as I said, in, in, in one's life, who one has a certain kind of relationship with, uh, or certain kinds of relationship, doesn't have to fall into one category there, certain kinds of relationship that allow um, this, uh, this, this imaginal dimension, these imaginal dimensions, whether it's that or it's a purely so-called intrapsychic image, um, Eros I used to say, Eros wants connection with the other. Um, But that word connection, occurred to me um, that actually it's, especially in our circles, our kind of circles, people who are um, sort of psychotherapeutically versed or or spiritually versed, etc., it's in a way lost its power. So so used, that word connection, I just want to connect with you or... Uh, felt really connected and this and that. Um, in a way, it's kind of lost a lot of its power and potential as a word. So we can add some other words. Eros wants um, connection, it wants contact, it wants intimacy, it wants touching. Um, to touch the uh, beloved other, the erotic object, uh, and to be touched by. So already with those words, connection, contact, intimacy, touching, and they each have already, they're quite pregnant words, they have already have quite a range. So try and hear these with, with, with sort of like, let the words themselves also expand. Because we say to be touched means also to be moved, that the heart is moved. But touching also involves the body. Um, it's, it's embodied, it's, it's involving the body, whether that's imaginal body or 
actual physical body, whatever. Actually, we can, and, and then on top of that, we can touch with all the senses. The eyes touch. There's the, the touch of sounds. There's the touch, certainly, of the hands. And, um, but actually, um, all the senses involved, and of course, touch is a sexual word as well. Um, so, connection, contact, intimacy, touching and being touched, um, penetrating, we've already said, opening to, receiving. Um, and again, really see uh, if you can hear these words in, in all the sort of full potentiality of the range of what they can mean. Um, so sometimes, especially in our circles, it gets with all the openness that we have, uh, heart openness and that kind of thing, the actual words kind of get constrained, for instance, just around heart or or something like that, or connection, the very idea gets a little constrained. So if it's possible to hear um, these words more with more of a range in them. So Eros wants all that, but Eros, um, <clears throat> classically in... Um, in Greek mythology, Eros is, um, I don't know about always, but often, let's, let's say or always, Eros is always accompanied by, um, or, or we could say uh, often, <laughs> it depends on our, whether we're doing the small definition or the big definition, but let's say Eros is accompanied by um, two other gods, Pothos and Himeros. So you've got a, a sort of um, trinity, erotic trinity called the Erote, is a little band um, called the Erotes. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, uh, Eros, Pothos, and Himeros. So, uh, I think as Plato says somewhere or other, Pothos has to do um, with what is not so much present, but what is absent. Um, it's the yearning, the longing for uh, what is absent, um, but but in our case, particularly what is not yet here. Um, we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, and Himeros, um, again, Plato, I think, explains um, Himeros. In Greek, the word is related to the word for stream and the word for rushing. Um, uh, the way a stream rushes, we say the rushing of a stream. So there's a stream of soul. It's part of this soul movement. So this pothos and himeros accompany eros. Now what does that mean? Pothos um, is always wanting more. It accompanies eros. and So, so we say that eros is always accompanied by this wanting more. And the, what's not yet here. So it wants um, something further, wider, beyond what has been um, already um, uh, reached or met or encountered or known or achieved. And so because of this, because of the pothos that always goes with eros, there's an endlessly dynamic uh, um, uh, quality or, or, or aspect facet to um, to eros. Eros is endlessly dynamic in its thrusting, its penetration, its opening, its embracing movement. So it is a movement with with the himeros and this pothos. Um, eros is a movement. It's endlessly dynamic. It will always want more. So we can see, as I've already said in the glossary, eros is a kind of desire. It's one kind of desire. Actually, it's a it's a it's a whole group of desires that that are erotic. But but it's it's a kind of desire that always um, is related with the imaginal or involves the imaginal. Eros is a kind of desire that always involves the imaginal. Um, 
and it wants, Eros wants, Eros is a desire to know, to experience the other, the object, the image, um, more deeply, more widely, more sensitively, more finely and subtly, as well as grossly, um, the kinds of more obvious intimacy and knowing, as well as really um, developing more and more subtlety in that knowing, meeting, touching, connecting, um, penetrating, opening to, receiving of, of the image, of the object, whatever it is. Um, and to know it uh, and experience it more completely and more fully. So there is, as I said, this, this movement um, to, to th- keep thrusting, to keep opening. Now in this, uh, in this movement, it's a movement, if you like, into the imaginal, and Eros penetrates the imaginal, uh, if you like, and inseminates it, or opens to it, and is inseminated itself by, by, the, imag- by the imaginal, by psyche. It fertilizes um, the imaginal, the soil, if you like, the, the territory of the imaginal. And so there's an increase in in. Uh, what we're calling psyche, or there is an increase in the image. There's a swelling, a tumescence, a growing of something. Um, not so much as I- images getting uh, carried, uh, sort of um, the way daydreaming, one thing kind of leads to another and they just get carried away. Um, but there's an increase of the sort of sense of the richness of 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 the imaginal object, um, it gains in imaginal richness, in complexity. The way, um, let's say, a, a paper, ga- a piece of paper or a fold of cloth gains um, more when when you crunch it up and it has all these folds in it. Um, it it that actually doesn't work as an analogy. I was going to say it gains more surface area, but. Um, Maybe it does. I don't. I don't know. I have to think about the mathematics. Anyway, um, it it uh, there's an increase of the dimensionality of the aspects or folds, the faces of of the of the beloved other, the particularities. It's almost like we discover more particularities there, more richness, there, more co- complexity, a widening of who they are, what this thing is that is the beloved object or other, the, the, the imaginal object. Um, they become wider and deeper. They contain more, uh, more dimensions. And in that, um, they, the idea, the logos, or with that, the logos is also um, pushed on. Because if, if, um, if I am... Uh, regarding, let's say, a person uh, in, in my life, and I'm, I'm regarding him or her this way, it could be uh, whatever my relationship with there, and they become alive for me in this erotic, imaginal way, and there's all the beauty of that, and they gain dimensionality. And I see, for instance, um, I see uh, their, uh, an aspect how they are a theophany, um, uh, how they are being, uh, and and the, the very particulars of their being and their expression and their actions um, for me is a theophany and is somehow, let's say, um, a, fa- a face of God, not separate from God, how somehow they are tied in with the manifestation of Buddha nature and divinity in really um, 
particular ways, and not just the fact, oh yeah, everything is love, as we said before, everything is awareness, therefore it's Buddha nature, but really through their particularities, through their personhood, through this um, exact way that they're appearing to me in a new way. So then, because I'm seeing all that and sensing it, it's having, it's having an impact on the psyche, the, the, the idea I have of not just who this person is, but who any person is, the idea of a human being, the logos of a human being, is pushed on, is stretched. And potentially, at least, it starts to expand to include the idea that a human being is somehow not just um, uh, a, a, a biological mechanism, etc., complex as that is, marvelous as that is, but is also, at the same time, and, and wrapped up in that, intricately involved in that, is also a theophany. And the, and, and the idea of what theophany is and the relationship of the divine and the human and the soul, um, all that gets expanded as well, potentially at least. So that through this thrusting and opening of eros, um, the image, the psyche, is, is expanded and also the logos is expanded in relation to this object and maybe in relation to others as well as we'll come back to. Um, and because they are now more yummy, more complex, more rich, have more facets, um, more um, uh, refractions of, 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 of light from, from the different facets of, of the jewel that they are, are revealed to me, um, then that entices, it elicits, it invokes more... Um, evokes more more eros, an increase in the eros. So the whole thing, eros, psyche, logos, eros, inseminates psyche and logos, and the, and the larger, fuller, more complex and beautiful psyche and logos um, inflame eros further. And so you get this kind of um, <clears throat> uh, in, inflating, self-fertilizing, mutually fertilizing dynamic. Um, I was going to say snowball effect, but that doesn't strike me as a good as a good uh, metaphor, but but that that kind of movement, the way they feed each other, um, and and the whole thing gets more and more fecund and expands and widens and deepens. So you could say uh, we discover more. I discover more in my beloved. I discover more dimensions, more faces, more theophanies, um, all of that. And at the same time, we acknowledge that well, I'm creating that. The psyche is creating it. So we'll come back to this, and I've mentioned it already. We the whole process, psyche creates, creates slash discovers um, more to the object, uh, more to the beloved other. And this process, this expanding, uh, sort of mutually fertilizing uh, dynamic, um, widening, deepening, enriching, complicating, etc. It doesn't, it doesn't happen all at once, and um, happens over time. Um, and it's not at all necessarily smooth in the sense that it, it happens usually, in, I mean, it must happen in stages. It inevitably happens. So it happens in time in the sense that something opens and we're taken with that and we're exploring that and, and there's an expansion to that level and then we're with that for a while and there's beauty there and then at some point it grows again, uh, potentially at least. So there's stages. It's not smooth in that sense. And it can also be not smooth in the sense that it can be, uh, as, as uh, this whole dynamic, this whole movement can be blocked or diverted. So we'll come back to that, um, as I said, l- later. And what, what, what can happen there. But if it's uh, unimpeded, um, then also notice there is no ever, there is not ever any 
completely knowing, completely penetrating, completely opening to. We never fully know um, or uh, penetrate or open to receive the uh, the beloved other, the object, um, whatever it is, in, an inanimate object that, um, or or. or, or an object in nature, of nature, or another, or an intrapsychic image. We never um, completely or fully know it, uh, open to it, etc. There is no finality possible to our knowing. Um, This creating, discovering is potentially infinite, driven by the pothos, always more, always more, always more. Uh, or the himaros, if we want to use that, the, the, the flowing, the onward flowing. Now, what we're also, so in that, what we're also going to add is it's not just the object um, that uh, gets um, amplified, extended, widened, deepened, complicated, made sacred, discovered, created. Um, because Subject and object are always mutually dependent horizons. They always go t- together. Um, it's not just the object, but the subject, the self as well, is is subject to this same process. It's caught up in the same web. It's involved. Um, it turns with the same movement. So not just the object is... Um, uh, uh, Given or 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 um, uh, or it, uh, dimensionality or its dimensionality is revealed or discovered and its beauties and complexities and, and all that given to it or discovered in it. Not just the object, but we ourselves. The, the imaginal um, sense of the self um, is also expanded in in the same just the same way. Everything that I said about in relation to the object applies to sense seven sense of self, the imaginal sense of self in that moment, as that's happening, it's not always obvious to people, and sometimes it gets missed, and there's consequences to that, so we will come back to that. But again, subject and object always go together, and another thing that goes together with all that is 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 the world, the, the, the larger sort of um, perception, not just the perception of the object and of the self, the so self and other, but also world. So all this goes just by virtue of um, the dependent arising of perception. Self, other, world always get fabricated together. Um, so that depending on the eros and the kind of eros and how that's fabricating imaginally, um, that there will be a self-other-world constellation. They get co-constellated, self-other-world. Actually, we could say self-other-world and eros. So we're going to come back to this. But all of them, if you like, psyche and logos and eros is expanded um, and deepened and widened and enriched, all of that with all of these, with, with other, with self, with world, self-other-world and with eros itself. So that eventually they too, in this sort of... Um, process in stages. Eventually they too are are felt, um, are seen to uh, have more dimensions and eventually divinity. And and this is where we're talking about the cosmopoesis comes, comes from. You work with an image and it spills out into the perception of the world. Why? Because because there's the object and there's the eros with the object and self and world will be um, <coughs> 
tied in, woven in to that imaginal co-constellation inevitably because they're part of that four-part um, well, co-constellation. Yeah, we'll, we'll revisit all this. Um, okay, now, <clears throat> we could say um, Eros, Psyche, Logos are separate things, and we could talk about, like we talked about Eros in the sort of small definition, and we could say, uh, I said this before, you know, Eros is, is really in, in, in implies and involves that whole eros psyche logos dynamic, the whole soul-making dynamic. There's a way we can also say that eros, psyche, and logos um, the, the, uh, are um, eros, image, and concept, if you like, or idea. Eros, image, and idea are aspects of psyche. They're aspects of soul-making. They're not really separate. So, um, again, we'll revisit this, but image and idea are not really separate. An image actually always involves ideas, plural. Um, so they're not really separate. Now we could ask, what does the Eros desire? What does it want to touch, to know, to penetrate and open to exactly? What is the the other. Um, whether it's uh, an purely intrapsychic image, or as I said, an actual person, or an actual thing, or object, or um, some something in nature, or an animal, or whatever, what does the Eros want to touch, know, penetrate, and open to exactly there? The object that it desires is, in fact, um, image and idea. It's psyche and logos. Eros wants psyche and logos. This is another way of kind of thinking about what's going on. Um, it's actually, the object is made up, if you like. The nature of the object is that it is psyche and logos. It is image and idea. You understand? So even if if I'm talking about a flesh and blood person, I'm in a certain relationship to them that allows this, uh, or one of the kinds of relationship that allows this kind of um, way of seeing them, gives it permission. Um, the object, my beloved other, is image and idea wrapped up with flesh and blood reality, so to speak. And someone might say, but what about the real object as it is, as it really is? What about the object as it really is? To which, at this point, you know what the response is. The response to that question, what about the real object, the object as it really is, is ha 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 ha. <laughs> right? Um, always there's a concept, there's logos um, involved in... Um, in any perception. I've said this so many times. Um, if there really isn't any conception involved in perception, there won't be any perception. There will be a fading. Why? Because concept is part of avijja. Okay. So the object as it is, uh, mm, pro problem with with realism there. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> and I'm not going to go into all that again. Um, to do with emptiness and, and the absence of inherent existence in things. 
Another way of saying all this um, could could be is that perhaps actually um, what eros wants is more is more psyche. Eros wants psyche, and it's endlessly, um, if you like, desiring psyche. And there's the myth, some of you will know, the myth of, of the love of Eros and Psyche, and uh, the love between Eros and Psyche. Uh, and um, uh, eventually they, they get um, incorporated into the um, pantheon uh, of gods. Uh, but... We could say in all this, uh, from a theoretical perspective, Eros, what's Eros wanting in all this? We could phrase it a few different ways. And one of the ways of saying is because the object is psyche and logos, and because logos idea is, is wrapped up with image anyway, and the object is image and idea, that, that's really psyche. It's um, Eros wants um, soul. Yes? Um, and it wants image, it wants cosmopoesis, it wants the ideas and the concepts um, uh, and the images that are fecund and, and beautiful. You know, Eros wants psyche, it wants more and more psyche. Um, another way of saying all this is the soul um, loves soul-making. The soul um, has an erotic desire for soul-making. The soul desires soul-making. Yeah, so there's different ways of kind of explaining all this, um, but in a way, they're they're just different ways of saying the same thing. So let's let's look at that dynamic in um, in in uh, with a few examples and, and things, and talk a bit more about it. Um, we'll look at it, take our time, and look at it both in, in imaginal practice and in and in life, and with different kinds of um, erotic objects, uh, uh, beloved others, um, if you like. So, if we start with um, so-called purely intrapsychic imaginal practice, um, actually, I don't know. If we start with imaginal practice, um, you can see that the eros is, um, as I said. Um, s- Sometimes explicitly sexual, obviously sexual, and sometimes not. Um, so let's let's start with the sexual. Um, uh, partly, um, as I said, because partly what I want to do in, in these talks is to is to op- open up um, the sexual, open up that doorway um, of the uh, of the sexual, and and kind of yeah, legitimize, sanction it. <clears throat> so again, we, we've said before. Um, the sexual is uh, is not equivalent with the erotic. It's it's one, if you like, one face of of the erotic. So when we say erotic, we don't, as has now become common parlance, mean sexual. Sexual is 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 um, the sexual, and sexual images are just one way, or sexual um, action uh, in life is just one way of knowing, experiencing, contacting, connecting, opening, penetrating, etc. It's just one way, uh, one, um, if you like, uh, strand or thread of, of, of the erotic movement. But at the same time, so we've said that several times, but at the same time, it's not interchangeable with another way. In other words, um, I said, oh, I'm not sure about the sexual... Um, they're saying, Rob's saying, it's just about knowing, experiencing content. So let me just replace it with with another kind of knowing. I mean, you can do that if you want, but but don't. I wouldn't at all assume that they're interchangeable. 
um, you know, types, strands of eros. Okay, so let's let's linger with this for a while. The, um, y- you know, sex, and we'll come back to the sex and the, the sexual images are not. Um, I would say they cannot be reduced. We cannot assume that they are, for instance, just expressing love. And that's what sex is, and that's what this sexual image, uh, this or that sexual image, is just expressing. Love. It's just wanting union um, to melt together into oneness. Or, certainly, that it's just um, it, you know, a desire um, for pleasant sensations. So, sex and maybe sexual images, can be that, that those are the primary things involved. But, um, but it's actually much more involved, um, I think, with what, what, what is driving sexuality and what is generating sexual images, if you like. So I'd be, I'd be cautious of narrowing it down that way and assuming, and again, in spiritual circles, these kinds of ideas about sexuality are, um, are very common. It's an expression of love, or it's wanting oneness and union, or or it's just a seeking of pleasure. Um, remember something from previous courses um, about the specificity of images. Images are very, very specific. So if we reduce them, they lose their specificity. This image, with all these particular nuances and details of it, and very particular ways it was felt and sensed, um, uh, it, it can be replaced just by an, by an idea of, oh, it was wanting union, or, or it's a movement towards oneness, or something like that. Um, the specificity of images is something really, really important. Um, so it's um, it's not just the sexual is is uh, just one way of knowing. Um, I mean, it is true, but it's also the image wants this way that it generates, the image shows this way, whatever this way is, this particular way of penetrating, of opening, of intercourse, in the, in the larger sense of intercourse. Um, this expression of eros is being shown in the image. This is what the image wants. So there's a principle here that I've touched on in previous retreats about ju- just trusting, if you like, the, the intelligence of the soul, the intelligence of the dynamism of the soul. And sometimes that's hard to generate. We'll come back to this. But just just playing with a little bit of trust nourishes the process. So it's it's very specific. The images are specific. And they're not just um, reducible, interchangeable, or one kind of eros with another, etc. Okay? And if, if we extend that point, you also see that um, implied in that idea is the exact specificity of the sexual image. Because if, if, we're, we're talking about sexual images, starting with that. Um, and what you'll notice, I think, um, I- inevitably, if you, if you really do these practices and you really open to this and you explore them in the ways that we're talking about with mindfulness, with sensitivity, with awareness of the energy body, with noticing the soul resonances and, and all of that that we've described in, in uh, what we consider imaginal practice, how we're defining it, you will find that often, not, maybe not all the time, but often the images, um, an erotic image that might come up, whatever it is, and, and be what you're meditating with, excuse me, is um, what I like to say is sufficient unto itself. 
excuse me. Um, so there might be a particular activity, sexual interaction or um, c- com- communication or relationship going on. Um, this is true for, for, for all images, you know, um, whether they're sexual or, or not. Um, but it's sufficient unto itself. Um, there's some particular um, activity embodied, manifested in, in the image itself that is, if you like, intrinsic to the image. Okay, that means it doesn't, in the usual way that images like one thing leads to the next, as they say, um, for life, and and also with images, one thing, you know, this happened and that, and then one thing led to the next, etc. There's a kind of sufficiency unto itself that's part of what what the image kind of wants, its intelligence. So it's not that um, you're working in meditation and something erotic. arises something sexual and then there's this kind of progression or escalation to say genital intercourse or or orgasm or whatever and it's it doesn't have that kind of escalation necessarily at all in fact quite rarely um there's something about just ling it just wants to it's just that whatever that is um of course that might be genital intercourse but but it's it, it doesn't have this escalatory sort of um uh, kind of um, propulsion to it, um, and and nor certainly does it um, imply at all or propel one um, to concretize that action um, in any way in in the world. Um, so we've been through all this anyway in regard to imaginal practice, but r- remember that in relation to the um, to sexual images as well. So yes, the pothos and the himeros, the the, the 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 always wanting more and the stream, the on, onward rushing stream, will give rise, will, as I said, impregnate the imaginal, will, will impregnate psyche um, and, and fertilize the images. But, um, but that fertilization is... Um, is a deepening, an enriching, a giving dimension to, and a discovering dimension in the image. It's not in the same way that sort of m- uh, unmindful daydreaming just sort of, as I said, leads one thing onto another, or fantasy in, in the way that it's usually meant, um, being lost in sexual fantasy or, or whatever in, in, the, in the poor meaning of the term. Um, uh, it's not that kind of wanting more and, and rushing on that way. So we go back to again things from from um, other other retreats um, that you've listened to. Um, there's narrative images where the whole thing seems to progress in time in this kind of narrative way. This happened and this happened. There's a there's a sort of either aimlessness to it or um, or a kind of purposeless purpose of narrative um, this thing happens and then it's great because this next thing was able to happen and this next thing and whoopee and, um, so th- that's usually not always but that's usually a telltale sign that the ego has gotten involved um, and it's spinning a narrative um, usually towards some kind of triumphant thing or towards um, to collect something or uh, something like that um, this is, or towards doom, um, but um, 
this is in contrast, narrative images are in contrast to what we call the imaginal or iconic um, images, where there's a quality that, that we can notice of eternality or timelessness to them. They're more characterized by that. Same with the sexual imaginal, the erotic imaginal. They don't move in time towards some great whoopee necessarily. Um, um, so again, it's something to do with um, um, the integrity, if you like, and the intelligence of the image, um, that they don't actually, uh, uh, they don't necessarily escalate, and often they don't escalate in that in that sort of <clears throat> more common way. Um, they also, uh, again, for, with this idea of the integrity and the intelligent specificity of an image, you'll notice as you um, play with these kinds of practices more and more and with the energy body, etc., that images have their, what we might call their own specific register or wavelength of um, appearance or energy. I can't remember if I've said this on other retreats. I think I have. I'm almost certain I have. Um, so, in other words... Um, I, one could have a sexual I- I- image or, or eyes that one's working with in meditation and um, it could be very, very ethereal. The forms, the bodies involved are just sort of light bodies, um, maybe of different colors. or It's all very kind of insubstantial. The <clears throat> resonances with the energy body are, are and the visual, or excuse me, the um, the tangible um, perception of of the image is 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 towards the insubstantial end of energy bodies, or it can be um, very substantial. Just feels and looks just really um, solid and earthy and fleshy and very um, uh, uh, substantial. In that sense, that whole range is available. And you'll notice, again, that you can play with it because you can actually learn to modulate the, um, the the register of an image. But it seems to me that, again, the images have a certain kind of integrity and intelligence in their specificity. So if it wants to be really fleshy and solid, that's what it somehow wants to be. And to, um, you know, not to just immediately want to make it ethereal or the other way around. Okay. So there's, this is not always simple um, as, as a subject, depends on the person and stuff, but, but, but we're saying something about trusting the specificity of images. And related to that, there's also a huge range in, in the sexual imaginal, the erotic imaginal, of, um, well, in the sexual imaginal, of, let's say, intensity and carnality. Um, if you like, of lust and wildness. So uh, there's no better or worse with these ranges. Um, something that seems like really lusty and carnal is not, and really intense in its sexuality, um, really wild, let's say, is not is not better or worse or less spiritual, more you know, whatever, than something that's very, very sort of gentle and um, ethereal and very... Um, you know, in its, in its what it expresses of sexuality is is quite uh, um, sort of subtle, even. You know, um, so so 
no better or worse there. It's really, what's the intelligence of this image? And can I just play with the idea of trusting that, assuming that there is an intelligence there, and going with it and seeing that in the specificity that's offered, uh, that the image offers? So, uh, just to give you a sense of the range here, you know, um, an image meditating quite some years ago, and just um, a couple, I didn't quite know who, who the couple was, and and they're just in a, in a sort of path in a forest, and all, all that's happening is they're holding hands, and it's a um, relatively brief image, but there was something in, in the holding hands, there was eros there, in the hands, it was, I um, can't remember, uh, uh, let's see, um, yeah, it wasn't so much that the bodies were subtle. I think they were just fleshy bodies, but there was something very subtle in what was passing between them, let's say, in the erotic movement um, in, in, through the hand-holding. It's very, very subtle. Um, it's certainly not X-rated, you know. It's like really, really subtle. This is an erotic imaginal image, okay? Didn't have... It wasn't particularly insubstantial, but it was very subtle and very kind of um, gentle. There was something, it was something about tenderness, um, lovely, that was actually really palpable. Um, the love, the softness, the tenderness um, that passed between them through, if you like, through the hand-holding. Um, so really, you know, almost one could neglect it as an image. Um, but I want to give you a, a sense of the range uh, and, and this sense of really trusting um, trusting the intelligence and the specificity of the image. So it might be something like holding hands. Um, and, and notice in this case, it wasn't even that I was involved. I was witnessing another couple. Um, uh, then um, another image might be, or, or, or kind of erotic image might be... Um, uh, again, this is something, uh, uh, an image that came to me. Um, a, it was a kind of like a celestial wedding. Um, that's, the, that's the sense of it that, that I saw. And again, there was a couple there. I wasn't, um, I wasn't, I was, it was like I was witnessing something. And um, this couple was sort of dancing with each other in a sort of... Um, almost like a formulaic ritual way, and there were kind of columns with garlands around them, and they were they were dancing in and out of the columns, and again, touching hands and holding hands. And the whole thing was, was very, sort of had this very light quality, but very something really delicate and beautiful um, and celebratory, like I was witnessing this this union, um, a, a celebration, almost like at another level, a celestial union. Um, and the whole thing felt very light. It was very luminous and very light, as in, as in not heavy as well. But it wasn't particularly insubstantial um, in the sense they, they were flesh and blood bodies, um, th this, this couple and um, this, this uh, bridal couple, and, um, and not, not sort of bodies of light. Uh, and actually something similar um, I remember and um, maybe I'll tell this one in a bit more detail partly the reason for telling all these is just because of what they um, what they might uh, give examples of in, in kind of that, that will help you in your practice so I'll give this one in a bit more detail um, 
uh, sat down to, to meditate one day a couple of years ago, I think it was, and um, uh, the, the, uh, there was actually a lot, lot of distraction. I think, I think, um, uh, it, it, oh, distracting images. So that's right. I'd seen a movie the night before. I, cannot remember what, and uh, was just noticing, oh yeah, you see a movie and the images from the movie stay in the mind and they kind of dominate for a while. Um, so, so for a day or two even, um, especially if you don't see many movies like I don't. Um, so it was, a, it was taking a while to sort of start and to kind of filter, is that, is that really, does that have this imaginal sense to it? Um, or, or am I just kind of, is the mind just kind of been impressed upon by something? Now, it could be um, that an image from a movie becomes imaginal for me. Certainly that happens many times, or an image from a character, a character in a book becomes imaginal for me. So it's not, it's not that a priori that an image from the movie is not to be followed. But there was a sense of just kind of like feeling the waters, fishing around a bit, what, what's... Um, What's uh, kind of genuinely imaginal here has that quality to it that I might actually um, tune in on. Um, <clears throat> then actually, I don't know how long, a little time it took the mind to, to sort of settle with that. And then an image of um, that I'd actually had before. Um, it was quite a common one for me of a young man, relatively young man, um, alone in a prison cell. And, um, and there's a sort of stone spir- spiraling stone staircase down into a dark cellar, and that's his prison cell. Um, and uh, I can see that uh, I'm, I'm sort of traveling down that staircase in- to where he is in his prison cell, and there's a tiger um, that appears beside me um, and beside that, that young man, so I'm somehow moving in and out of identifying with him. At this point, I'm just finding my way into the image. And the tiger, too, is, it was a, a very common image for me at that time. Um, uh, and this tiger has a very, a very powerful, very um, kind of calm and um, silent energy to it, of immense power. Um, so I descend into the cellar, and I notice um, that actually the, the top of the stairs admit light. So this is interesting. And I, I look up, and I think it's actually open. So this is doubly interesting. The prison is, is somehow actually optional. And as I as I go kind of into the cellar, I see that it's pe- peopled. Um, it, there there are various characters there. It's not just this young man. There's a um, a, a sort of wizard character there. I think at at um, again uh, a character that I'd encountered before with certain characters with certain characteristics. We don't need to go into here. And there's also a kind of um, beautiful lady in white. Again, a character with other characteristics. We don't need to go into here. Um, so. Interestingly, and again, I'm still describing how I'm getting into the image. I'm still not sure what to focus on here. Um, And I focus on her for a while, and her appearance keeps changing as I focus on and kind of mixing with images from, from the films, that I saw, and then I'm, then then doubt arises. Okay, I'm not oh, I'm not sure. Is this right? What, what's happening? Um, uh, so I'm describing all this just to. We're going to talk about uh, practice, of course, and uh, and doubt and all that, but just kind of um, in a way to paint a picture of what actually happens. Um, 
So what I did at that point was I, I went a little deeper into the sense of samadhi in the energy body. And because um, remember, all this is connected with that. So I said, okay, the, the mind can't really settle here on what to connect with as an image. So let's just go deeper into the samadhi sense and feel the subtle body, the energy body. And in doing that, um, sometimes what can happen with the energy body, and, and um, maybe it happens with some people more than others, um, it's as if the... Um, the energy body sort of begins to float free of the physical body. So this is not anything at all to to do with being disconnected from the body. There's still this real sense of being really intimate with the feeling in the body. But it's as if the subtle body floats free and sort of flies free of the body. And you can feel it flying and... and um, Oftentimes for me, it wants to turn cartwheels or somersaults. There's a kind of exuberant joy in it. Um, and I, so I can really feel that very palpably in, in the energy field of the body. And I also see it, and it's kind of blue and, and a kind of white-yellow light. And, and it feels really good, and joy arises with that. So it's some, sometimes for some people it's related to a possibility that arises with a certain amount of samadhi. Um, <clears throat> And uh, so this feels good, and joy arises with it. Um, and then it's almost like I, I'm seeing this um, subtle-bodied angel, if you like, but I'm no longer really identifying um, so much. So there's a kind of not, definitely uh, not 100% am this, this subtle-bodied angel. And this subtle-bodied angel, and the beautiful woman um, who was there, um, <clears throat> Uh, and she now also has a more subtle body of light. So so the th- what happened, as I went into the energy body, more samadhi, followed this energy body movement, it started to change the image. There's that dependent arising, mutual dependent arising of energy body, um, mind state, and, and image. And we're acknowledging all that. Um, but this subtle-bodied angel and the beautiful woman um, with the body of light, they start to dance but dance is really it's sort of the best i can do to kind of um as a word for what what they're doing they're somehow floating and interacting with each other in such a sort of movement of delight with so much delight and mutual sort of sympathy and resonance in the way their movements kind of reflect and respond uh, to each other and work together. It's, it's um, yeah, very hard to describe in words, but something, uh, they were full of delight and the whole scene was full of delight and it delighted me and there's, there was a lot of joy in, in this. And also want to mention that as this was happening, um, there, there was a lot of the thinking mind started um, sort of flashing lots of insights very, very quickly um, and intuitively. It wasn't like pondering something, just lots of very quick flashes of intuitive insight around cosmopoesis and, and other stuff. So this is quite a few years ago and still developing this material and things were occurring to me. So note also there that there is a way that the thinking mind can be drawn into this process in really quite a creative way um, uh, as, as part of this. Now the whole thing, I'm witnessing this erotic um, interaction, this intercourse in the widest possible sense, but it's, it's really not raunchy sexual at all. It's very, um, very ethereal for a start, and the 
um, what they're really doing is just moving in this way together, dancing, if, if you call it that, um, in, in these sort of uh, bodies of light. And it really feels like a vision of another realm um, where these two, this couple, are somehow eternally in in this erotic dance together. So somehow I'm I'm sort of if you like given a vision or an opening into this other realm. And that's what it feels like. And when I <clears throat> in the meditation um this was going on over quite a little while and and uh, then when I feel like I'm losing touch with that world um I I I just oh it's kind of going a bit so so I I went back to this um, subtle body sense of feeling like the subtle body was flying the actual feeling of that and and turning cartwheels and floating and and really feeling how that feels and again that feeling in the energy body very palpable very very lovely and enjoyable and um, helped me to access that that kind of um, realm or world again the vision of that. Um, so yes imagining if you like the subtle body floating and flying through the air um, of the room because then I could also kind of transport it from that cellar um, to the room that I was in my room at Guy House um, and imagining the subtle body and feeling it um, so image and energy body interacting there and and allowed that whole um, sense to come back that whole image to open up again of the couple Um, and so just tracing that again as as an example very um, insubstantial if we go back to this range of what's possible insubstantial you know what can we say Sexual, yeah, but in a very gentle way, um, you know, and and really not, um, not certainly not obviously genital or 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 even you know anything like that. Um, many times, you know, sitting in meditation, and it's as if uh, uh, a deva or a dakini or an, an angel comes and, and kisses me on the heart. And this has a you know a really healing, soothing effect. Um, very beautiful, very delicate, very loving, but so specific in the qualities of this um, angel and and the way the kiss is is given and the, and the effect its ripple through the energy body. Um, it's very characterized by tenderness or by humor or by mischievous playfulness and sort of um, seductive quality or whatever but um, so so many possibilities in the specificity the range is 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 huge or you might get an image of you know what you know from uh, <clears throat> may know this this Tibetan word yabyum um, the sort of uh, icons of Buddhas um, in in erotic union and sexual union with their consort, so you get different Buddha with with his specific consort, the consort with the Buddha in in erotic union, right at the centre of a mandala um, or a uh, tanka or whatever, um, and so that that would be quite a common um, uh, you know image to to arise in meditation. Again, who is it? Who is it who's involved? What's the characteristics of of that um, of that uh, yabyum of that um, penetration of that opening? Um, 
it, it may well be um, uh, melting. There, there is in that melting. It may be characterized by a lot of tenderness that goes with the melting. A tenderness melts together. Um, it may be that it starts insubstantial, becomes insubstantial, just melts into light. That what started as two, two figures um, just becomes a melting into, you know, some color of light. And the figures and their independence and their um, forms are dissolved in that light. So all kinds of possibilities here. Um, it may be, you know, that, that there are images and imaginal senses of different kinds involving the different imaginal senses of penetration. So um, sexual penetration, actually all kinds of, let's say erotic penetration, because because it can even be penetration through the gaze, and this is something we'll come back to. Um, you know, what is it to feel penetrated um, uh, by the gaze um, of the um, imag- of an imaginal figure, what is it to feel their gaze penetrating you um, in in the erotic union that that's through the gaze? Um, but you, there can be all kinds of penetration, all different ways, and and they don't at all need to uh, correspond to or even at all be. Um, constrained by any kind of anatomical, biological accuracy. Um, you or an imaginal figure might, for instance, have um, five penises. Uh, for example, and there's a statue of um, Hermes uh, that I saw somewhere that indeed had five penises. Um, you can penetrate or feel penetrated um, in more than one place uh, at the same time. Something that's obviously not, not biologically possible, maybe in the middle of your head or, the, or in the middle of the imaginal figure's head or in through the front of the throat or, or it feels as if um, it can feel or seem in different ways, again different senses involved, that the whole body is being penetrated. Again, it doesn't make biological <coughs> anatomical sense. There can certainly be gender reversal. So I'm used to thinking of myself as a man or a woman or somewhere, something else. I define myself as this. There's no um, constraint uh, or stasis necessarily in terms of gender um, identities in in the imaginal realm. Um, uh, And uh, and even with gender, there's no um, necessarily uh, clear... (coughs) you know, visual sense or, or uh, that, that, that corresponds to gender necessarily. You know, they might be or they might not be. Um, penetration, as I said, might have to do, to do more with energy penetrating. Might, you know, might might not be. Might be very carnal, very physical, very and very conforming to, to you know, human anatomy. Might. Um, uh, certainly homoerotic or, you know, what it could, the range is enormous, you know, and it could be a penetration of being, beingness, you know, what's that? Um, the imaginal is not, as I said, constrained to any kind of gender identity that we're used to. It could be hermaphroditic, you know, um, the sexual orientations that we're usually identified with if we are... Um, if we are identified, you, you know, that, that, that holds no sway in the imaginal realm. There's some other intelligence operating that, if you like, um, just breaks that open, doesn't feel limited, is not limited by that. Um, so there's all these possibilities. Let me describe another one. Um, uh, 
some some of these images, actually, in this one in particular, it, it has a slightly different context. So there's bits I'll leave out and bits that kind of have connotations that won't be clear from from what I'm saying. But but let's. Um, I think I think for the purposes of right now, it, it serves. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I'm um, in meditation, and I see myself or feel myself on on a large raft, um, and there's a whole kind of cast of other characters on this raft with me—a wooden, large wooden flat raft—that's um, <clears throat> on the sea and kind of drifting on the sea. Um, some of the characters are familiar from other images that I'd worked with in the past that had sort of come and visited me, that, um, and some completely new, didn't you know, didn't recognise them from before. Some of them were very clear, and some were just vague presences. I couldn't even quite get a sense of them, or a picture of them, or or, <coughs> or any other sense of them. And not only that, at first the the number of figures there, there's, there's clearly quite a few of them, but exactly how many, um, that, that seemed to be changeable. It seemed more or less, and, and not even necessarily finite um, number, potentially. And the individuals themselves could change. They, they hadn't kind of settled down. Um, and then it seemed like, suddenly it seemed like the raft was... Uh, like a like a theater stage, and uh, it was being lit up. So it was on the ocean, this big flat raft, um, wooden raft, being lit up. Um, this theater that was now felt like a theater stage, being lit up by sort of intense flashes of lightning, very sort of dramatic lightning coming from the heavens, uh, as if like from God or something. Um, so that this stage, this theater stage, was illumined. By the by the illuminated by the lightning this periodic lightning, um, whereas the water around it was not. So the water around it was black. It's dark, and suddenly with all that um, tremendous energy with the image, um, sh- shoots of energy and and uh, begins, and then on this raft on this theatre stage at sea, <coughs> illuminated by the lightning, um, a rite begins. And there's a woman there. Um, she's mostly naked, um, and a kind of dark woman, mostly naked. Um, but her body, mostly naked body, is daubed in um, splashes and strokes of of kind of um, black paint or tar or something. Um, and she has amulets around her upper arms, and she's full of vital energy and force. She's exuding this vital energy and force. And a rite begins um, between her and me, and it's watched by the other characters, so it's as if they form a circle watching this rite. And what happens in the rite, unlike some rites, is not formulaic. Um, It's more improvised. And it's part dance and part um, sex, basically, and part different, what I would describe as different acts of union. And there's a lot of energy involved. And the energy is quite, if you like, um, let's say dark and powerful. But I don't mean by dark evil. And so we've been through this, I think, in the re-enchanting retreat and other, other, uh, possibly other retreats. Dark, in, in my language, is not evil um, at all, as most people tend to think in terms of certain archetypes. And stuff. There's a lot of energy. She's a dark goddess. She's, um, and it's, it's very, very beautiful. But she's not someone like Kali, who's a sort of 
overwhelming, primordial, destructive force of nature. Um, she's she's very powerful, and she's a dark goddess. But it's not it's not that kind of completely um, just decimatingly destructive force that I think goes with the goddess Kali I'm not quite sure of that um, that iconography and, and all that um, now in this rite part of what we do um, this this dark goddess and I is I don't know if you ever did this when I mean it's a weird thing when I was a kid we had we had uh, two friends um, me and my brother had two friends who lived just up the street and we must have been I don't know seven I'm guessing something like that and um, I don't know where we got the idea from but we um, uh, maybe it was from like a TV show or something anyway we we cut our arms um, just a little bit so that they bled a little bit and then we pressed the two bleeding um, bleeding arms together me and my friend um, so that we would be you know blood brothers I don't know if you heard of this it's a I honestly can't remember where we got it from. It must have been some TV thing or something like that. And and what that was was really for us back then when we were kids. It was symbolic of um, of our friendship and our kind of commitment. I felt I really loved these guys and 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 um, and we were buddies and and we were always out on the street playing or in, in riding to the park and stuff. And and it was kind of like symbolic of of our deep commitment to each other as friends. Um, uh, so that's part of what happens in this rite with this dark goddess on the raft is we cut our arms and we press the ble- the bleeding parts together to become um, uh, blood friends, if you like, or related. It's a symbol of our deep commitment to each other and commitment to something I'm not even quite sure in the image what. Um, Now, this image was something that I returned to a few times, and I was experimenting at the time with the whole notion of pacing with images, like when to return, when to um, deliberately return to a certain element of it, when to just move on to another image, etc. I I hope I talked about that in past retreats. Um, And when I returned to it... um, at some some stage later, either the next day or later that day, I can't I can't remember. Um, we do this right again, and her blood is actually black. She has black blood, and I receive this black blood of hers into my veins. And um, then I went out for some walking meditation. I was on retreat at the time. I went out for some walking meditation, and this kind of infusion of this black of her black blood in, into my veins just filled my whole um body with with tremendous energy and um but more than that it's like as i was walking it felt like that same energy that same black blood energy was suffusing into my body as i was walking in the walking meditation from nature so she was somehow a nature goddess and i could actually feel this insurge of energy of this this black blood insurge um from nature suffusing my whole body my whole energy body and in doing that i'm walking up and down stopping and standing and walking and and being with this image as as i in my walking meditation very mindfully and um that infusion into the energy body it i actually my imaginal sense of my body and the earth um, transformed as well through through that infusion. So my energy body become became a, a dancing god, like a very sort of thick set, heavy, muscular. I've um, got quite a different 
body than than I have in in this life at least. Um, um, and this God my energy when I was still <laughs> wasn't, but the energy body was dancing a sort of really um, energetic, powerful dance, a bit like um, what I know of the the haka, you know, the New Zealand the All Blacks rugby team and the dance they do, trying to. Intimidate their their opposing team before they start. It's fabulous. Um, so something like that. That sort of dance was moving through my energy body and my imagination, while the actual physical body was still. We've talked about these kind of possibilities in imaginal practice before. Um, uh, and other times, um, again, going back to this this. this uh, thread of the image that had to do with the blood mixing. Um, other times this mixing of blood um, uh, w- was was much more uh, gentle in, in, in terms of what it opened up. It, it brought this, it was really, as the blood mixed it became this merging of beings in, in, in really profound, beautiful love and a kind of softly ecstatic union. So the same very same thread of the image felt very different at different times, gave rise to different um, different trajectory of image within the larger image. But also at other times, this is all in the same the same sort of constellation of, of image on the raft and this right. Um, the right also this this erotic right um, between the dark goddess and <clears throat> and myself. Um, involved dismembering each other, okay, ripping each other or, or chopping each other's uh, limbs, all the limbs, chopping them off the other. So she would do that to me, I would do that to her, it doesn't obviously make sense, um, but uh, anatomically, physically, chopping all the limbs of the other, uh, off, off the other and um, and chopping their body in pieces and laying these out on the raft, these, these limbs and body pieces, and then smearing one's own body with the parts and the dismembered limbs of the other, um, and 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 so that one's own body becomes daubed in in the blood um, of the other, and then feasting, devouring the limbs and the flesh of of the other. So why am I saying all this? <laughs> to give you a sense of the range. Uh, clearly, that image, for a start, wasn't um, insubstantial at all. It was very substantial, very carnal, very intense. And for a lot of people, they think that just sounds weird or pathological or, or, or whatever. But actually, um, there was a lot that came out of that image, tremendous amount, in fact, that came out, and I'm not going to go into now, um, infused with holiness. Uh, infused with beauty. Is it the standard kind of picture of holiness and beauty? No, it's not. Um, am I ever going to chop anyone up and do all that? <laughs> of course I'm not. Um, so, but really what I want to do is give you a sense of of uh, the whole point of this, uh, you know, just these examples was to, was to open up the sense of, um, as I said, the, the, the possible manifestations of, eros in this case, of, of sexual uh, sexually erotic imagery, Im- Im- imaginal. So we come back to this question: What does the image want? What does the image want? Can I trust, if you like, the integrity and intelligence of of images, um, or uh, if I if I can even just grant them a little bit of trust, trusting their integrity and intelligence? What does that o- open up? Um, what does that allow? What does that allow to um, unfold? What does that set in motion, <clears throat> if you like, through my trust?
um, that uh, when I grant that and the image has this kind of iconic, timeless or eternal um, aspect, quality to it, dimension to it, um, all that and the trust uh, allows the soul making. Yeah, this is this is part of what allows the soul making. Um, so we're interested here in opening and allowing the eros, so that the eros can open and allow the soul making and uh, cosmopoesis and the eros psychologus dynamic, everything that we're talking about. This notice, this this granting of trust, or this idea of the integrity and the intelligence of the image is a view. It's a way of looking, it's a concept, it's a logos, it's a conceptual framework. We're completely admitting that. It's part, as I said, of the dependent arising. Um, it, it's part, if you like, of our intelligence to, to, to bring it, to bring it to bear, to play with it, knowing it's just it's just an idea and it will have an effect. Um, so sometimes that's quite a subtle point and it's hard for people to kind of get their heads around. But what happens in contrast if I reduce an image? Uh, I'm I just had that image because clearly I was traumatized or or whatever from my past or something like that. It's an expression of my past, or I or I dismiss it. Can't possibly be um, interesting, or it's um, or I'm lonely. Therefore, I you know see this couple holding hands or whatever it is. If I <coughs> Um, reduce or dismiss it, what happens? Then I have a certain way of looking, I have a certain view, I have a certain concept, logos operating. What happens to the whole process? Just It just folds. Usually. usually. Um, so again, there's dependent arising here. We're going to come back to this. Um, what happens if I feel guilty? Some kind of guilt from my upbringing or from other other kinds of teachings I've received in different cultures and I feel guilty about having a sexual image arise um, that, that's actually interesting, what the effect of guilt again, the guilt becomes a view a lens, a way of looking or part of the way of looking and there's a concept built into this is something I should be guilty of, that I should feel guilty of, that, 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 I, that is bad. There's a conception for it. It's, it's informing, it's shaping the way of looking in the view, and that affects what happens. Well, guilt's an interesting one, because it could um, inhibit the, the, uh, the, the movement, the soul-making movement, certainly inhibit the image, so we just shut it off or bring the mind back to the tip of the nose or whatever it is that we're doing, um, uh, or whatever, or uh, you know, different so-called spiritual practice, um, <clears throat> or bring it back to so-called reality, or whatever. Um, or the guilt can, and I think I've talked about this before. Guilt can shame, and guilt can also propel something more, um, and they have their place in in the mechanism of what propels addiction often often it's the shame and the seeing of something as bad that somehow it creates an energy that's intolerable that propels the whole process and I just repeat the addiction because of the shame because of the intolerability of something is part of the whole cycle I've talked about that before so I'm not going to um, dwell on it here but the question is if I feel guilty, it's the opposite of trusting the intelligence of the image, what effect does that have on them what, what can or does unfold?
And then there's a whole question too of, and we'll come back to this as well, of um, if there's a lot of energy, um, a lot of sexual energy or arousal, and um, or sometimes just a lot of agitation anyway, or stress, and then the, 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 the sometimes sexual fantasy or actual um, orgasm, etc., is something in the being is just seeking it out as a kind of... Um, seeking to discharge energy um so we'll we'll come back to that but if if that's what's propelling the whole movement then it will go down a certain line and it uh, it won't um it will escalate one thing leads to another in in the way you know so there's a lot of different um things that can come in to how we're viewing the image at any time in terms of ideas, subtle ideas, sometimes we're not even conscious, or intentions, or whatever, views, ways of looking, and this all has an impact. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, that's enough for now, but we want to really start to go into um, this eros-psyche-logos dynamic, when we can relate to the image in certain ways that allow that, and how it spills over, as mentioned, into into the, the self-image, the images of self that are operating, uh, uh, as well as of other and world um, in cosmopoesis, etc., and other, other aspects of this um, uh, organic movement of soul-making. Okay? <clears throat>